Welcome to episode 35 of the Point of Pittsburgh podcast. I'm Kevin Cray. And I'm Steve Gimaselli. Steve, uh, what, are we, what do you want to talk about this week? Because it's uh, pretty grim and pretty awful, which I got to feel is like the fourth week in a row that I've started off the podcast saying that. Um, yeah, it's, but man, it's been an ugly stretch. It's they, been a real ugly stretch. They, I mean, they keep finding some new ways to suck. I mean, you know, before it was they were just sucking with the guys that they had, and now they're sucking with the guys that have uh, the, the the whole farm's here. You know, all hands are on deck at this point. So um, I, I had a crazy dream this week. You want to hear it? Okay, sure. I uh, I was, you know, it was me, Haley Atwell, Vanessa uh, Kirby. We were all at PNC Park, and the, the Pirates were just coming off a stretch uh, where the entire month of April they played 20 wins and 8 losses. Mm-hmm. It was wild. I mean, that clearly must have been just a dream, right? Could you imagine how bad they would be right now if that stretch never happened? Like, I think that's the overlooked, like, part of this, is, like, they would kind of be in line with one of the worst teams in baseball. And there's some very, very strong candidates for worst teams in baseball right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has been just absolutely, absolutely ugly and dismal and incredibly frustrating. And I'm this is going to be an interesting episode because I'm just pissed off and I've got COVID brain. So you nice. know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Nice. We're going to see how this goes tonight. So could be, could be interesting though. I mean, me recording with COVID brain, I could actually be like maybe more on the ball. Like, you know, I don't have those like long pauses. Like maybe I'll somehow be fresher while I have the dumbs. I don't know. I'm not overthinking it. What a, what a paradox. There's been like a whole team of scientists studying the effects of podcasting on COVID-19. So it's like a, a live action version of it. We'll have to send this to them. Yeah. So, uh, I believe it's your turn on the couch. Um, yes, f- it is. Feel free. So I'm, I'm going to be brief this week though. So, um, <laughs> I was actually last night I was looking at the front offices of the Tampa Bay Rays. I was looking at the front offices of the Cleveland Indians and get this. None of them have presidents who were hockey executives. That's it. That's my couch. Steve, uh, I hear you, and that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to tell you. Uh, I don't really think Travis Williams does anything baseball-related. Um, I think he just kind of designs in-game experiences and lives in a bubble where everything is great. Uh I don't, we had an article on the point of Pittsburgh, um, in written form. And I want to say it was, well, it was right after Charrington was fired or quote left, um, the Boston Red Sox. And I said that the pirates should look to pick him up because there's a stunning number of parallels between he and Neil Huntington. And I thought he would make a great AGM. They, literally went to the same college. They're both from the New England area, you know, blah, 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 parallels down the line. And then he became the actual general manager after Neil Huntington was 
was fired and they went searching for it. And I always thought, huh, we're just going to get the same type of GM. It's going to just be Neil Huntington part two. And um, that's pretty much what it's been with Ben Sherrington. Uh, he's done the same type of MO of trades and free agent pickups and even drafting styles, I'd, I'd hazard to say. Uh, the drafting team hasn't changed at all. Like, I mean, it's still pretty much the same bag of dudes as when, you know, as, as when Huntington was here, you know? So, I mean, delicari has been the head of scouting since 2012, which isn't a great time. If you're, if you're looking at, if you're looking at a dude's resume as a head scout, uh, that's not a good time to, that, <laughs> that's not a good year for you to have started. Cause that's kind of when. Pirates drafting seemed to like take a little bit of a step back, you know, after that. Maybe not a little bit, maybe a little bits being nice, I think, you know. Yeah. I mean, with every, every time there's a regime change, there's always, uh, you know, scouts leave, people get repositioned, sure. things like that. And, but, you know, I know that Ben Charrington, Neil Huntington, they're not the ones that are like out beating the bushes on some. 16th rounder, you know, I, I get that. Oh, there's, sure, sure. I get that there's cross checkers, there's heads of scouting, but the, the tempo always comes from the top, no matter if you're a baseball organization or you're selling widgets, uh, the leadership always comes from the top and it just has always felt for better or worse. This is just a continuation of the Neil Huntington years. Yeah. There are some philosophical changes, like here and there, you know, like we went from, you know, being fastball as king to being fastball feels almost like shunned at this point, you know, um, you know, I mean, breaking stuff is obviously a lot more important, to, you know, since Sherrington's been around and that and with, with good reason. And that's it's a welcome improvement. That's where baseball is actually trending. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think his uh, I think Sherrington's reign has been a little less innovative and a little less creative but maybe there's been a little bit more. I, I think some of the maybe some of the actual decisions have maybe been better. Um, but no, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's you know feels like the uh, this meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know, it does feel very very similar. But that being said, both back to my uh, back to my original uh, uh, couch session. You know, both Cleveland and uh, and Tampa have presidents that are on the business side that they just run the business side but they also have presidents that kind of focus on the internal baseball operations side as well too so um you know that to me is and, and i think I'm, I'm sure um you know I, I, i'm sure that he's doing just fine uh, on the business side here you know and i think the fan experience from the times that i've been i i feel like the the game environments and you know, I, I, I think that that's they're doing pretty well on that side of things. But I, I think that they really should have, uh, you know, they need to have a baseball operations guy that's reporting directly to nutting, you know. Um, and, and I probably know that Sherrington does bypass it. And he's kind of serving in that role. But, man, I, I just, you know, you'd like to see a guy that has a little bit more experience with actual baseball being the guy that's running your organization, you know, um, because I mean, who's, you know, he's the guy that's also making the decisions about who to hire as the GM and things like that. You know, what the hell does he know? 
you know, I, I mean, it, it doesn't make much sense as far as, you know, Williams doesn't make much sense as far as I'm concerned. You know, if he's handling both sides of the house, you know. Yeah, I um, I, I'd love to. I'd love if you were feeling enterprising enough, uh, with all your free time in quarantine, if you could somehow track down the episode where uh, it's clearly in April, but when they gave out the extension to Shelton, and I'd love for you to cut that in somehow. Uh, if you don't, you don't. No problem. We're still cool. But you know, there's a lot of people like. Oh my God! How is how is Derek Shelton going to survive this? And I was always very hesitant when they made the extension. It was just purely on vibes. I mean, April sure. we were just fueled on vibes. But if there's one thing that Bob Nutting hates more than spending money in general, it's spending money on things that are no longer on the team. And I just don't see any possible scenario that Derek Shelton, sadly, is not the manager of this team in 2024. Now, if they come out and soil themselves again, uh, especially in a year where theoretically they are internally expecting to make the playoffs, uh, then I could see them maybe making a move and he eats the last couple years on it. And if they don't make the playoffs next year, he might just clean house and get rid of Sherrington as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just it's just crazy that Derek Shelton, I mean, talk about striking while the iron's hot and having a good agent, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. They, they, he did a lovely job. He secured that man's financial future, that's for sure. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that from Shelton's standpoint. Um, definitely jumping the gun as far as the pirate standpoint goes, but you know, I mean, and maybe I'll find a place to, to work a clip in. Yeah. I'm not making any promises though. I so, know. Um, but anyway, uh, I think that, um, I think that we took up enough of the show for something that wasn't even, <laughs> on the rundown to be in the show. So I'm really glad that, uh, I'm really glad that my, my couch struck such a nerve that it cost us, uh, you know, 10 minutes of, I shouldn't say cost us. I think this was actually a really good discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it, that, it, that it, it, it took up and, you know, a full 10 minutes of, of showtime. Um, you know, so much for having a quick couch, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, how would you like to proceed now with the actual rundown of the show? I'll let you uh, do your choice. Let me uh, let me go to the old rundown real quick, and let's see. Okay, so um, I think the next thing that I want to do is let's talk a little bit about some of the more recent um, the recent debutantes in the the, the majors. Um, you know, Quinn Priester and Andy Rodriguez had a kind of a nightmare start to both of their major league careers. Um, you know, but, uh, I don't think we've talked much about Jared Triolo and he's actually happy. So like, let's try to like, maybe talk about him for a second just to kind of, you know, keep some level of like sanity. So we'll talk about, let's talk about uh, our, our response to Jared Triolo's start so far. And then we'll talk a little bit about, um, Quinn Priester and Andy and how their first two games have gone. Well, first, Two games for Andy, of course. 
Can I take a first crack at Jared Chirolo? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So Jared Chirolo is Kibrian Hayes without the injury history. <laughs> He's going to stay healthy for you. No, yeah. his glove is sick. Like, he really, he can really pick it. Like, yeah. um, the first few innings yesterday, in, uh, he made some really sneaky great plays. Uh, the first few innings of Quinn Priester's start yesterday. And I think a huge part of why he got um, through those first three innings so cleanly was thanks to Triolo's defense. Mm-hmm. Um, there would have been a, you know, I, I mean, if if the Pirates had an average third baseman, um, you know, some of those balls, there would have been at least one of those balls would have gone for a, an infield hit. And who knows, the meltdown may have started sooner. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that he... Um, I, I like him. I mean, like, I, I don't think he's got a huge ceiling. Uh, I wish that he were um, left-handed, you know. Uh, but that being said, like, he's got – I think he's his glove's going to play at the major league level. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, he's he seems like he's going to hit a little bit. Like, don't get me wrong, I think his numbers are Babbitt inflated, which ironically, you know, keep Ryan Hayes's rookie season uh, stats were also Babbitt inflated. But um, yeah, like I said, I think he's a guy, I think he's an average major league player. Um, You know, he's also not what the pirates really need at this point because they already have an, an average third baseman who's, you know, got a better glove, even as good as Trillo's glove is. Yeah. Trillo shockingly has even less power than Hayes. Um, But uh, his weighted runs created is actually better than Hayes at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, 95, which is obviously nothing to get a ticker tape parade going for, but it's better than Cabrian Hayes is 83. Um, so yeah, I'll be curious to see where he goes the rest of the year. See if he can hit for even a modicum of power. Um, but yeah, uh, Andy Rodriguez, it's like you said, it was a little bit of a rough debut, but, uh, yeah, it's only been a couple games. Let's slow slow our roll down a little bit. Yeah, I've never I've watched him. I've watched a lot of his at bats in the in the in AAA this year, and I, I've never seen him look overmatched. And and he does look overmatched right now. And I don't know if that's just the environment, the pressure. You know, uh, this. You know, he's probably struggling a little bit with the game calling aspect uh, right now. Uh, I mean, he's. Uh, he's gone out there two nights in a row and the starting pitchers have gotten bombed. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's going to do a little something to your psyche, you know, and, and, you know, his, the, the, the at-bats that he's put together since, um, that, that third inning, uh, or that fourth inning with Quinn Priester yesterday have been just, you know, they've been pretty ugly. So, I mean, but I don't normally see as much swing and miss. I don't, he looks lost. I've never seen him look lost before. He's going to be fine at the plate and he's ultimately here for the bat. So he better be, you know, uh, catchers take a long time. Like, I don't think we've talked about that enough, you know, as, as we've gone through with him. Um, his bat has appeared to be ready or pretty close to being ready. Um, it's just a matter of putting it together on the defensive side and, and the cerebral part of the defensive side specifically, which, you know, involves the game calling and framing and all that sort of thing, you know, um, 
I, I don't think that he looks bad from a basic catching standpoint. You know, he seems to block balls pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to, I mean, I don't think anybody's, I, I, the, the Indians haven't, or excuse me, the Guardians haven't needed to, uh, to steal at all, you know, since, uh, you know, <laughs> since they've been in town. So, I mean, we haven't gotten to see what he does, uh, when, when runners go, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the the basic scene there, like I said, it's just it's gonna be that, you know, that thinking part of the game, you know, the part of the game that you 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 build up that savvy for, you know, over over years and years, you know. And and like I said, there's a reason why catchers sometimes don't arrive at the majors until they're 25, 26 years old, you know. Um, but that being said, I do think he'll be fine. You know, there's still a lot of tools there. Um and even if he ends up being a mediocre catcher, his, you know, his bat is going to eventually get there to where it's going to play and, and he'll at least be a, a value-add player. Every time Andy Rodriguez is swinging a bat or playing behind home plate only means that Austin Hedges is not. Yeah. And I am willing to watch Andy Rodriguez struggle, willing to watch him adjust, And I'm willing to just watch him grow because that means that Austin Hedges is not here. Um, I just, I can't, it's just like a, like if you were that bad at your job, like if you were a major league baseball player and you were batting buck 60, buck 70, your OPS, not your on base percentage or your slugging, but your OPS was like 475. How in the world do you get out of bed every morning and go to the park and not say, hey, Skip, uh, I, I think I need a, like a, a day off. Or how about if I'm like the, a second bench coach, you know, and I'll just observe and we can get, get some of the younger guys in here and I'll, I'll start helping them get set up on here's how you set up some uh, catcher reports on what the opposing pitchers are doing and uh, or the opposing batters and, you know, kind of just be like a second coach and just ask to be taken out yourself. Just unplug yourself a little bit. It's just amazing that it's gotten to this point. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, that's the role that he's going to basically be in for the rest of the year, you know, unless any really, really, really sucks and they need to get him out of here just so he can get some wins under his belt. Like if his confidence ends up being shot because he's struggling so hard, if only the pirates, if only the Pirates had another catcher <laughs> on the roster that yeah. was drafted first overall. Yeah. And and I will say this much. I've watched a good amount of, of, of Davis behind the plate as well, too. And I can say with certainty that he is a better catcher than he is a right fielder at this point. You know, I mean, again, there might be certain intangibles, um, you know, that, that I'm missing some nuances that I'm missing. Cause I'm not a scout or I'm not a coach, but just, you know, very, very basic eyeball test, you know, yeah. dude's a better catcher than he is in a right fielder. So. I, I mean, if, the, if they're willing to not admit to sunk cost fallacy and they're going to hang on to hedges as long as they can, then just put the lay in triple a have hedges be the third catcher, second coach. Um, let him pass on his knowledge of how to call a game mm-hmm. and, pitch frame and things like that. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. 
I mean, and, and we'll talk about what, I, I mean, I, 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 we'll talk more about Hedges, you know, before the end of the show um, in, in, in the second segment. But I, I want to talk a little bit about Quinn Priester first, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. you know, again, I've watched a lot of minor league baseball this year. Nah, I usually try to tune into starts where the, you know, where there's a known commodity, at, you know, that's starting pitching that night. So I watched a good amount of Quinn Priester. At no point in time this season have I said, this guy looks like he's ready for the majors. You know, if anything, you know, I, I mean, with the, you know, I didn't realize he had added a two-seamer, um, and that explains a lot of his velocity drop this year, and, and I'm more okay with that. But that being said, you know, it, it's not a pitch that he looks fully comfortable with. He doesn't seem to always quite know where it's going at this point. Yeah. Um, now, watching it with the better major league cameras and stuff like that yesterday, um, you know, man, that's that two seamer moves, man. Like it's it's pretty serious. Like that could be a that could be a silly pitch at some point if mm-hmm. he's, uh, you know, but I don't I, I don't think it can be his primary. Like, I mean, I understand they gave him a two seamer and that he was working on the two seamer. Um, to play off of his four-seamer, which I think still runs about, you know, 93, 94 in that end. But, like, the the he needs to kind of balance those out a little bit more. I don't think he should be a 30%. He shouldn't be throwing his two-seamer 30% of the time. I mean, he should be throwing it about as evenly as he does with his four-seamer. Um, also, this curveball of his that, you know, I think he got both of his strikeouts on last night... Um, you know, we didn't see that enough. That's supposed to be his like go-to pitch, but for some reason he was throwing the slider. It really kind of felt like, and I'm not trying to pick on Andy here, but it felt like this was his developmental load when he was down in AAA, and Andy just kept calling that game plan for him here at the majors. You know, yeah. like he didn't call like a major league like game plan like where he really emphasized his strengths. It's like it the pitches that they kind of put on the back burner. While he was developing other pitches, it seemed like he still like he he still put out that ratio, and and maybe that was still the instructions. And maybe I'm picking on Endy, and he's not the one that was actually in the wrong. Maybe they want him throwing those, um, the, those side pitches so he gets more crisp with them at the major league level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I again like Endy, I wouldn't take this as a. Um, I wouldn't take this as 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 much of a uh, as a concern. Like I think he's still going to be fine. Um, you know, I, it's just he's he's just not ready yet. Like it's it's almost unfair that he's up at this point because I you know if he were down in Indy, you know he could uh, I, you know he get more control of that that two seamer, get a better feel for it, maybe add a little bit more velocity to it. You know, mm-hmm. to where it's you know now sitting up a tick. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it was a rough start for him, but I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be a major league pitcher. I just, uh, it's, he's just not really ready for it right now. So. Yeah. I mean, he's here on, he's just here on necessity there with the, the implosions of Ronzi Contreras and Luis Ortiz. Um, they're, they're out of arms. I mean, they, and they don't seem interested either able or willing to just go out and just get a dude, you know, make a trade for just a dude. Um, they're, so they're going to just put Priester in. Uh, I have Priester kind of modeled as a, 
low end number three, high number four, uh, which doesn't exactly sound great for a former first round pick, but you know, he's here and I think he is going to be a major leaguer, which is a lot to be said, uh, just from from pitching attrition. But I just, I've never really felt that he was going to be a, a top of rotation guy. No, and I agree with you completely on that. And I, I mean, I think we've talked about that before, you know, I mean, and with him having to move to that two seamer this year, I think that actually probably puts him a little further down, um, <laughs> a little further down, you know, the, the velocity's off a bit. I, again, I think it could still be a good pitch, but I, you know, I'm not seeing as much upside there either. I mean, I, I've always viewed him as the same, in the same vein as you. I may have seen him as a possibly as high, as actual up end was a legit three. I'm seeing him more as a, I, I see his upside more as a five or, or a four now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I do think that in all likelihood, he's going to stick in a rotation. Um, he's durable. He's super athletic. Um, like we did see, you know, one thing that kind of got, gets overlooked. Was, I think we saw some pretty athletic plays from him. Uh, you know, in the field yesterday. So, I mean, that's that was definitely another plus as well, too, that sometimes gets overlooked. But, yeah, I, I mean, he's a he's a back-end guy at this point. Uh, I'm happy to have that. You know, when you're picking at the back end of the first round, I mean, you know, if you can get anything that's a starter call, caliber player from that neck of the woods, you, you're doing just fine, you know? So, yeah. um, it doesn't always have to be a superstar when you're picking after 15. So, That's right. um, but anyway, so, uh, one of the favorite pastimes around these parts in July is talking about who the pirates are going to be trading off at the trade deadline. And sadly this year is no different. Um, so what are your personal thoughts why don't we maybe do this somewhat quickly? Okay. Uh, just kind of maybe do like a little bit of a rapid fire on. So I'll sh- toss a name out to you and you tell me what you think. Okay. Uh, Carlos Santana. So we had originally researched this show as a buy show, <laughs> you know, a few, uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, and as fate would have it, you know, we had such incredible technical difficulties that we just basically quit on that show. And thankfully <laughs> we did, because they're clearly not looking like buyers at this point. So uh, one thing that we learned, though, is uh, that the first trade market is barren. Absolutely, absolutely barren at this point. So I look at Santana as a, a pretty strong trade candidate, and I think there's going to be some teams that are going to look at him uh, in terms of it, just his straight up on the field value, I put his surplus value at about 1.75 million, which isn't a lot, but that's going to get you some prospects. Um, you know, so there are some suitors. I think Milwaukee is a possibility. Houston's a possibility. Baltimore's a possibility. And I think even a, re- a reunion with the Mariners, that could be a possibility as well too. But teams that look for his intangibles and his leadership down the stretch might even be able to willing, able and willing to bump up their, uh, their, their that surf plus value. I think it could almost play it like twice, you know, at, at twice that, you know, the actual real surplus value. So mm-hmm. I think you could almost get consider getting about 3.5 million for him, which again would be, Two not great but decent prospects. So, yep. Yep. All right. Old man Rich Hill. 
Uh, so I, there's always starting pitchers that are needed. Uh, you know, somebody needs a starting pitcher, you know what I mean? So, and, and I mean, he's not going to blow the market away and, you know, it's, it's, it's teams that, uh, you know, are going to need depth at the position are going to be the ones that are going to want him. So I've got his surplus value at about two and a half million. Um, you know, um, Milwaukee again, uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Boston, any of those teams, I think, could uh, could potentially be interested in grabbing him, uh, unless they're looking at more front end. You know, I mean, Cincinnati's so injury riddled at this point that the, any starting pitching that they can get is probably going to be helpful. Um, so, I mean, they they might actually need two starters at this point. So, getting a cheap guy like Rich Hill on top of and, and maybe somebody with a little more upside and control uh, would be. Uh, I, I think they, they, that could be a really ideal location for him. Uh, this is one that I will say through gritted teeth because I absolutely do not agree that they should even entertain this. Uh, my feelings on David Bednar are very well known on this podcast. But uh, if the Pirates were to dangle David Bednar out there, what do you think? They ain't trading Bednar. <laughs> no, I mean, no, seriously, they're they're not going to trade him. Yeah. I, I mean, I would be shocked. I mean... It, the the hall would have to be extraordinary. I mean, and we're talking at least one top one hundred prospect, if not two. Um, th- they would have to be truly, truly blown away. Like the stupid stuff that they were asking for for uh, Reynolds in the off season. That should be the same sort of demands that they're gonna that they would uh, get for Bednar. Um, you know, again, I, I I'm all for trading relief pitchers when it makes sense. You know, and it doesn't right now because they literally have nothing else in the bullpen at this point that's stable. You know, um, is, I think, finally looking a little bit better, like back to his old self again. But, you know, I, I mean, Bednar is the guy. They need to build – if they're going to compete next year, they need to build the system – or they need to build the bullpen around somebody. Right. Um, and they just don't have enough arms. Like if there was any – if he was even slightly expendable, like if there were three guys – or if the bullpen still looked like it did, um, you know, in, in even in the middle of May – uh, if it still looked that good and that deep, then I would say maybe you think about it. But that being said, if the bullpen was still that deep and that stable, we may not be talking about selling right now either. Yeah. All right. And just for some giggles, uh, Austin Hedges. So here's the thing. Like, I fully understand that um, that 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 he's the, the goat around here in terms of not the good goat. He's the bad goat. <laughs> Um, you know, but he's, uh, he is one of the best defensive catchers in baseball right now. And that does add value. And there are a lot of teams that could use a backup catcher at this point. You know, I think, you know, against Cincinnati, Houston, Cleveland, Tampa, Arizona, Miami, like literally the, the market for Austin Hedges might be deeper than it is for any other player on the Pirates team right now. And I know that sounds crazy because everyone hates him here, um, you know, but I mean, he is still a positive four player. He's an excellent pitch framer and he plays good defense and he's, you know, a, a good clubhouse guy like you know, if you've got nothing, like there are teams that are doing worse than Austin Hedges, you know, in, in terms of their backup catcher. So, uh, I mean, I, I look at his surplus value and I put him at basically even, um, you know, if, if, if a team's going to be willing to just eat a salary the rest of the year, I mean, I think they could 
shoot, they, they could probably get him for like a, a, you know, even like a non-prospect, you know, but if the Pirates eat the salary, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's not question that there's, I don't know the question that they would get some kind of a return for him. Or if a team's just, uh, if there's a couple of teams that want him and they go head to head, then, you know, they might actually be able to dump the salary and be able to get a, a mildly viable prospect for him. But I wouldn't sleep on Austin Hedges getting traded. I think it's actually a possibility, um, but we shall see. Uh, anyone else that I may have forgotten that you'd like to talk about? Um, so Connor Joe is, uh, I don't know if he'll be tradable, but uh, he is a guy that I think um, makes sense for the Pirates to maybe think about moving on from. You know, he has a... Um, He's surplus to requirements at this point. You don't need two right-handed right fielders. Um, you know, and, 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 and I mean, at this point, teams could definitely use some backups, you know, backup bats. Um, you know, I, I think that the best fit for him would actually be Cleveland. Um, you know, both of their corner outfielders that they're using right now are lefties. So um, to be able to have him on the bench to, to just slot in behind you know, one of those guys is, uh, it could make sense. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's weird fit for him. So, you know, probably not, you know, probably not going to get huge value from anybody else, but he's got, he's controllable. I mean, so he has some pretty significant chunk of value. Like if, if, if the Pirates found a willing partner for him, um, they, they could sell him, they could really flip him for a pretty nice profit, I feel like this year, you know, so, it certainly, I believe they traded Nick Garcia for him. They would certainly get yeah. way more in value back than Nick Garcia. So, yeah, Connor Joe would be my last guy. Yeah, and we're not even going to entertain the notion of Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, he's he's yeah. he pretty much came here and said, look, I, I'm yeah. here. I'm not a trade chip, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, he... He, I mean, when the rumors were starting to swirl, I mean, he basically came out and said, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, he's not. I, I mean, I I think he might just like be, be like, I'm retiring. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm going to retire. I'm going to spite retire rather than go somewhere else. This is where I want to be. Yeah. And I think the Pirates, as, as crappy and dumb as they are in some ways, like I, I don't think they have, they have the sense not to trade Andrew. Right. Um, or even attempt to it. So, yeah. I mean, he's fine. He's not going anywhere. Well, Steve, uh, the pirates are God awful. And, um, I guess all is right with the world, you know, nature's healing. Uh, it's probably not even worth our time to do our usual three stars wrap up. Um, because I don't know if between the two of us, we could come up with three stars. Um, so this is probably where we're going to part company. Uh, I hope that you are on the road to recovery from this virus that has uh, basically destroyed the 2020s so far and made uh, the world a terrible place, um, both for its direct medical benefits, but also or direct medical effects, but also how it's ruined discourse in this country. Uh so aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, uh, anything else you want to share? The world was already a terrible place. You're right. Yeah, but at least we have the pirates to make us feel better. In... All right. I'm okay. glad I'm glad you're uh, an East Coast man, 
And uh, I hope to see you in the flesh sometime soon. Give it a few weeks, man. I'll be um, I'll be up next week. Um, just it'll be an in and out just to look at houses. Like it's not going to be a social call, but uh, yeah, I will be in the area for the uh, uh, you know here and there for uh, for the foreseeable future. So could be an extended stay, could be a short stay, but um, just once we do settle on a place. But we'll uh, we will see each other quite often, I'm sure. Just remember, it was last August. We went to a pirate game, had maybe a couple too many beers, and came up with an idea for this dumb podcast. And here we are, a year later, torturing ourselves every week talking about this uh, godforsaken franchise. Yeah. So God I lo- bless us. So what I'm trying to say is, I look forward to going to a pirate game with you. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll come up with a better idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you later. Right, bye bye. Bye.